Hi folks, this is Bob Main, and welcome to another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. This is episode number 237, I believe, coming to you from the mobile studio, cruising down the freeway, down Interstate 10 to be exact. Just got finished up with a business trip, trying to make it home, trying to survive, make sure that I get home and in one piece and all that good stuff but i got a little bit of free time here a little windshield time so want to share some survival and common sense preparedness with you as you know this is a common sense no tin foil hat type of podcast i don't go tin foil hat on you i don't believe in all that wacky stuff i just try to keep this rooted in you know the common sense stuff that kind of what our grandparents taught us back in the day at least I hope your grandparents taught that. And if they didn't teach that, uh, hopefully you'll learn some of that here. You know, you think about what our, the way our grandparents and our great-grandparents used to live. They lived much more self-sufficient lives. They weren't quite as dependent on everything as we are. Wow, isn't that amazing? Have you ever thought about just how dependent we are? It'll scare you if you think about it. Think about everything that we're dependent on. We're dependent on trucks cruising down the freeway. Semi-trucks, delivery trucks. You know, in, in the book series 299 Days, Glenn Tate writes about a partial collapse and what, you know, the delivery trucks quit moving. Well, what happens if these delivery trucks don't go and drop everything off at the stores that we need to buy? What if they quit delivering fuel that we need to burn in our vehicles? To get somewhere. Think about all that. Think about how dependent we are. Even when you go to the doctor... Think about how dependent you are on electricity. Hey, what if you're in surgery and there's no electricity? Okay? Now, the the hospital is probably equipped with some pretty good generators, but what if you're a patient waiting on surgery? And all of a sudden, what if we have a widespread power outage? What if you're in a health situation and we have a long-term power outage and all of a sudden the hospital's without power? Now what's going to happen? What if you're in a hotel room and all of a sudden bad weather hits the area that you're in? This happened to me one time. Bad weather strikes and the power goes out. Well, now what? Is the hotel set up? You've got to think about this stuff. Even when you travel, you've got to have supplies with you that you can, that'll keep you going if if the power's out. This is why you've got to have... You have to carry travel bags with you that have plenty of supplies, plenty of food, plenty of ways to create light, plenty of ways to keep yourself warm or cool if the power goes out and the hotel doesn't have a good generator and maybe it's in a maybe it's it's cold, it's winter time right now, maybe it's cold, you got no way to heat the room. What's going to happen? Okay, that happened to me one time. Power was out for about a day and a half when I was on a business trip. And uh, I still managed to get some business done during that time, too. But think about just how dependent we are. Our grandparents were, our grandparents and our great grandparents were far more self sufficient. So I am trying to do my part with this podcast to bring about a resurgence of that kind of a lifestyle. I think the more free people are, the better off they are. The more self sufficient they are, the more free they will be. See, self sufficiency equals freedom. Very much. And, boy, I, I, I'm going to tell you a really frustrating thing. And, and then I'm going to move into 
the main topic, which is, you know, talking about some survival improvements that I've made, and we'll see if they resonate with you. I was on Facebook recently, just kind of killing a little bit of time before one of my appointments, and, you know, there's a guy that follows me on Facebook, or there's a guy that's a friend of mine, and he's a real liberal-minded guy. I mean, he's politically way far left. Now, I don't get into politics and religion on this show, but I'm just using this as an example. I'm not trying to pick on this guy or anything, but he's really far left, and he's he spreads all this stuff on Facebook. He shares all this stuff from lots of liberal people, one of them being Robert Reich, very, very liberal liberal economist and professor. And uh, I, I, saw this, I saw this thread with like over 400 responses on how they are really waiting for the days of a single-payer health care system. A single-payer. In other words, a government-run and government-funded and government-paid Healthcare system. People who people want this. Even though if you look at every place in the world where it's ever been tried, it's horrific. Even our neighbors to the north in Canada, many of them will tell you it's not the greatest system in the world. A lot of people from other countries where there are single payer healthcare systems come here to America to get better health care or to get highly sophisticated surgeries. Unbelievable, but there are people just kind of frothing at the mouth waiting for this stuff. Wanting it to come and to be here. And I thought to myself, this is not about politics. So I don't want you to think about poli- that it's about politics. I realized it's about dependency. We have a class of people that want to be dependent. They want Uncle Sam, they want Big Brother, whoever it is that you want to call him. They want somebody to take care of them. That's what it is. They they don't want to bear the responsibility of taking care of themselves. How sad is that? Think about it. I want to speak to any, any young person listening to this podcast right now. If you're under 20 years old and you're listening to this podcast, go back... Go back about an episode or two ago and listen to my interview with Teen Prepper. I want you folks, if you're under 20, I want you to be more like Teen Prepper. I, I worry I worry about my son's generation. My son is going to be 16 shortly. I worry about his generation. You know, not necessarily him, because, you know, he's around my wife and I so much that, you know, he's, he's, he's getting it. He's starting to get it. But I worry about his entire generation. What is this country going to be like? Because many in his generation want to be dependent. It's unbelievable. I I just, I can't figure out why. Why do they want somebody to take care of them? Because when you rely on somebody else to take care of you, usually it's not very good care. Somebody else really cannot do the job that you can do for yourself long term. And I'm blown away by it. Well, all right, anyway, so that's my opening message. Now, let me switch gears into the main topic and what I've been doing lately. Back at the first of the year, I promised that I would report from time to time what I've been doing to help improve my life. And I don't know where you're at in your prepping lives. Some of you, some of you who listen to me, you're very, very experienced preppers. You've been doing it a long time. Or, even if you've been doing it a short time, You've made great strides. Some of you are rather new at it. 
I know because I get emails from you. So I don't know what stage you're in. You could be somewhere in between. But I figure here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share my experiences. And then when I share my experiences, maybe you'll be able to learn from them. First of all, though, a listener called in a voicemail. If you want to call a voicemail into the show, call 210-646-1727. I'll give that number out again. 210 area code. 646-1727. Here's the first voicemail. Hi, Bob. Uh, Steve calling from Northern Ohio. I have a uh, prepper question. Trying to get started uh, with food storage on a budget. And uh, my wife says that she can get bulk rice at the store pretty cheap. And I look at all the two-liter Pepsi jugs we recycle, thinking, wouldn't that be good? Uh, so the question is, got a good uh, good way to store and do I need to worry about uh, oxygen evacuators and uh, that kind of stuff or can I just pour the rice in there and well clean them out pour the rice in seal them up and uh, have a little peace of mind anyway let me know if you get a chance uh, I'll be listening love the show bye bye all right, thank you, sir. Thanks for calling that in. Hey, by the way, many of you know that I do two podcasts, and so that voicemail, I, I like to use the same voicemail box, far easier for me to keep track of. So it's the same voicemail, so if you hear uh, if you hear me introduce myself as being part of the Handgun World podcast, it's because I typically get more voicemails over, the, over there, but let's change that. Anyway, so go ahead and leave your voicemails there up to three, uh, three minutes in length. Storing rice... You know, if for the short term, I would go ahead and use those bottles, but I really don't recommend storing it that way. Mylar bags, that's a great way to store rice. Uh, vacuum sealer, you know, get a vacuum sealer. They're not that expensive. Sir, I would suggest that you save your money and get a vacuum sealer and store your rice that way. Now, we eat a lot of rice. You know, I, I subscribe to the philosophy that I want to have at least about 80% of my food storage stuff that we regularly eat. Every once in a while, I tell my wife and my son, I say, you know, we may not eat like gourmet, or we may not eat like our typical home meals that we typically have every day if it's a stink-hit-the-fan event or a stink-hit-the-fan situation, but we're going to survive. And they get it. They get it. I mean, we'll try to keep things as normal as possible. That's very important. Keeping things as normal as possible if there's some kind of of a stink-hit-the-fan event where you got to go into survival mode. Keeping things as normal as possible helps helps the psychology of people. Surviving is, is just as much mental as it is anything else. And you got to be mentally sound, and a lot of people have normalcy bias. They do. I mean, they just they got to have things a certain way, and if it's not a certain way, oh boy, they're freaking out. So these people with normalcy bias, you've got to prepare in such a way so that you feel like you can pretty much give them, you know, 75% of what they need. But they're going to have to realize that, hey, if it's a stink-hit-the-fan event, things are not normal. However, a lot of people just don't want to think about that. They, they put their fingers in their ears when you talk to them about it. They're like an ostrich with their head stuck in the sand and they're, they're out in the... You know what? A lot of people in the United States live in the 51st state. 
the 51st state of the United States. Did you know that? I'm going to borrow this from the survival mom when she was interviewing with me, when Lisa, the survival mom, interviewed with me a long time ago, a couple years ago. It's funny. She said, in fact, I think she did a big blog post about this. The 51st state. You know what that is? The state of oblivion. That's right. People live in, in, in the state of oblivion. I'm telling you what. They just don't get it, these people. I, I, all right. Anyway, don't... I don't want to get on my soapbox about that. But the people that have normalcy bias, you're going to have to try to make things as normal. So, sir, if you can, if you can get some, if you can get a uh, vacuum sealer, store it in vacuum uh, sealed bags. I would strongly recommend that. We consume a lot of our rice, so most rice doesn't hang around too long in our house. But we do have some that's in, in vacuum sealed bags. You know, if you store them in any kind of a sealed container, one thing you got to be careful of is you have to be careful about pests. Pests can, invi- can invade your rice supply. So you got to do whatever you can do to keep the pests out of it. Pests can get in there and lay eggs on your rice and you don't even know it. And then your rice is going to spoil fast and then, of course, you don't want to ingest that stuff. So you've got to do the best you can to keep rice as sealed as you possibly can. Those soda bottles, eh, you know, that's very temporary. I mean, if you buy a bunch of rice and for the short term, you've got to store it that way, fine. But think of a, find a longer term storage method for that. Mylar bags, vacuum sealed, or a sealed container. Uh, even if you can, you know, keep it in in three gallon or five gallon containers, as long as you can keep it air sealed and airtight. That's going to help you far uh, keep it a lot more fresh over the long term and keep it away from pests. That's what I can, I'm concerned about when storing rice. I'm, I'm very concerned about that or anything that is just stored in. That, that Anything you buy in plastic bags, really, that when you buy it at the store, think about it. When you buy it at the store, they don't prepare things at the grocery store for a long term because their inventory is there, what, three to six days? That's it. You know, their just-in-time inventory is only going to be there a very, very short time. Days, not even weeks. They don't care. So you're on the right track, sir. You're on the right track wanting to store rice for a long term. Uh, I would say that those soda bottles, my guess is that that's pretty much short term. If you have a suggestion for this guy, again, call back into the voicemail, 210-646-1727. I like to think that everybody who listens to this show, we're a big community. We're a big, kind of like a big family, a big survival and prepping family. I don't know a lot of you. I've never met a lot of you, and I may not get a chance to even meet a lot of you, which is kind of weird. You know, I mean, I get a lot of listeners to the podcast. It's in the thousands every week, but, and I'm thinking to myself, well, gosh, people say that they're benefiting from the show, but I don't even know these people, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, that's the great thing about technology these days. And what a great world we live in, huh? When we have all this technology like podcasts and the Internet to be able to share all this knowledge. So we're a big family. So I'm calling on my family members. If you've got some more ideas for this gentleman about the long-term storage of rice, call into the voicemail 646-1727, area code 210. Now, let me talk about what I've been doing this year so far, in the year 2014, what my family and I have been doing. A little over a week ago, my son and I decided to get into some martial arts, specifically Krav Maga. Uh, that's Israeli 
That's the uh, Israeli word for contact combat. Krav Maga is not really a, a traditional martial art. It's hand-to-hand combat. It's hand-to-hand self-defense. It's basically good practical self-defense, street self-defense. It's not the end-all, be-all. You know, I mean, Krav Maga is not the end-all, be-all, but it's a start. And I'm doing it for a couple reasons. Number one, to get in shape. That's the primary reason. And I get bored going to a gym or getting on a treadmill or getting on a bicycle. It's just boring. It's boring to me. I gotta. I don't know about you. I'm I'm, I'm kind of this like this hyperactive person sometimes. I, I gotta have. I have to have my mind being stimulated. And my mind is not always all that stimulated getting on a treadmill, even if I'm listening to a podcast. It's just you know I'm. I don't know. I just that doesn't do it for me. I end up quitting that. Krav Maga. I'm starting to look forward to going to. It's great, and my son has a lot of martial arts training. You've heard me talk about it before. Uh, he's trained for seven years now. He's been training ever since he was eight years old, and he's going to be 16 shortly. So pretty, oh, getting close to eight years he's been training. He's, he took about seven or eight months off, and now he's back into it. And it's great because it's a good father and son activity that we can go do together. We can both stay in shape, and we can learn some hand-to-hand combatives. You know, some of you know I like guns, and I do another podcast on firearms. But tell you, let me tell you what, folks, that's a last resort. You really don't want to go to your gun if you don't have to. You want to use every method that you can to defend yourself. Women, women are really enjoying Krav Maga because, number one, it gives them a confidence that they can defend themselves. And it gives them techniques that they can use. And it doesn't matter what your size, what your age, it doesn't matter whatever physical disabilities you have, a good Krav Maga instructor can teach you how to work with what you already have and and to work within your limitations. And that's what I like. So there's a great school in San Antonio that we're going to, and that's one thing. It's been a long-term goal. It's been something that I've been saving up for. I wanted to make sure that financially we could afford it and that I had the time. Right now, we only go two days a week. Uh, My goal is to get that up to about three days a week. I think that's going to be good enough for me. You know, this 52-year-old body needs to get in better shape before I go more than two or three days a week. There is a class coming up real soon. Uh, It's an eight-week class. It's once a week on how to defend yourself against a gun. So it's great. I mean, it's it's hand-to-hand how to defend yourself if somebody pulls a gun on you. Let's say you don't have a gun. And here's the other thing is even if you do have a gun, you have to be able to buy yourself some time to pull that gun out and use it. And there's an art to that. There's an art to that with, and, and hopefully not get shot. So it's an eight-week class once a week, and that's going to start in a couple weeks. Actually, by the time you hear this, it's going to start in about uh, about a week. I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I'm going to try to make as many of those eight classes, the gun defense classes, the Krav Maga gun defense classes, as we possibly can. And that's something that very much looking forward to. We also have made some improvements to our bug out bags. You know, if you have a bug out bag or, you, or an emergency bag, whatever you want to call it, it seems like you're, you're just always fiddling with it, aren't you? I mean, I don't know about you. I, I am. I'm always messing with it. Um, first of all, I rotate a lot of stuff. I rotate the food and I rotate the water that I keep. In uh, both, I have two bug out bags. I have a traveling one that comes with me all the time, and then I got one that I keep at home. And I want you to think about this. What happens if there's some kind of a weather event in your area? And all of a sudden, the authorities are knocking on your door and they say, It's time to evacuate. You got to get out of here. As a matter of fact, you got about like two or three hours to get out. 
Okay? Hurricane's coming or something like that. Can you pack up what you need to survive indefinitely? Indefinitely. Now, some of these events are only short-term. I get that. Hurricane Katrina, people were not displaced short-term. They were displaced long-term. Quite a bit. Be prepared for both. So I got two bug-out bags. I've been been tweaking both of them. And it's just a never-ending process. And, you know, that's one of the things that you got to understand is that the more you get into this, the more you get into prepping, the more you realize, oh, you know what? I don't have this. I don't have that. Hmm. How can I figure out a way to get it into a bug-out bag and not create much weight? And I started thinking, you know, I had, at first I had a lot of stuff that, way too much weight, like I had a lot of tools in there. Well, tools are heavy. Tools are heavy. So a real good multi-tool, multi-tool and a couple good knives can get you a long way. Especially some good survival type knives that you can cut big things with. I got a K-Bar survival knife. I think it's the Becker 10 or something like that. It's a big, thick, heavy knife. And that now resides in my my home bug out bag. The one that's going to go with me if I got to evacuate. Because it's not that I'm going to be out in the woods. I'm not going to be some Jeremiah Johnson out there, you know, trying to live off the land. Because I'm just not used to that. I haven't trained myself in living off the land yet. So I'm not going to be stupid enough to go out and do that. But if i got to build some shelter for a day or two or three or four or five short term, and I need to be cutting some stuff to build shelter, I can do a lot with a hammer and a knife. You know, and i got a small hatchet. There's a lot of things you can do with that. But again, I don't want to keep it, I don't want to weight it down too much because I may have to take this bag, flip, flip it up on my shoulder, throw one on my son's shoulders, and we may have to get on foot and go somewhere on foot. And so unless you're used to carrying around 100 pounds all day long, uh, try to keep that thing as light as you possibly can. I bought another bag. Uh, There's three of us in the family. We only had two. So got another one now. So now each one of us have one. Now, you know, with my wife's health condition, she probably isn't going to be able to carry it much. However, however, I'm still packing her... And, and she's helping pack up a bag as well because we might be able to enlist the resources of somebody else to carry it for her. And even if we're throwing it into a vehicle, the lighter it is and the less space that it takes up, the better. If you're going to load down a vehicle to get out for a while, you'd be amazed how you can fill up a vehicle pretty quickly, even a pickup truck or even an SUV or a van. You start throwing stuff in there and you can fill it up real quick. And the lighter the better because if if you got to pull that kit out of your bag, excuse me, guys, you got to pull that bag or that kit out of your vehicle and go on foot with it. Always think about your always think about your emergency bags in such a way. Always think about what if I've got to pull this out and throw it on my back or somebody else has to carry it. Okay, think about that. Are they going to be able to do that? Uh, also, recently beefed up our food storage, which that's a good thing. Can't ever get enough of that. I'm searching. I'm trying to find some more five-gallon uh, water bottles to store some water. I like doing it that way. I don't have a 55. I don't have a couple of 55-gallon drums yet, and I'm on the hunt for that for those to start storing, storing some water in those as well. 
Um, I got it figured out how I'm going to store it. I just need to. I need to get with it, and that's that's kind of one of the weaknesses. I don't mind talking about some of the weaknesses in my prep preps because I learn from it. Hopefully, you'll learn from it. And uh, right now, I got a whole bunch of water in a bunch of five-gallon uh, bottles, five-gallon water bottles. You know, kind of like the bottles that that um, that the water bottle water companies deliver. Some of them are are glass bottles, and some of them are plastic bottles. And I uh, got some got some copper pennies in the bottom of them, and uh, or I just took like a half a teaspoon of bleach, and you know, half a teaspoon of bleach per five gallons is virtually nothing, and that helps keep it purified. And you know, if you're consuming five gallons of water with only a half a teaspoon of bleach, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt you. Not going to taste all that bad. And uh, if you're desperate, if it's a stink hit the fan. You're still going to be thankful for that good, fresh water. Keep lots of water purification tablets handy as well. Keep alternative ways to cook and boil water. And that's the other thing, too, is, you know, i got a couple of different uh, propane stoves in case i got to use those. And I can use those at home, or I can use those if I have to get out of Dodge and boil some water if I need to. So alternative methods of cooking, uh, I'm a big believer in that. Okay, another um, other preps that we've been doing a lot of, of this year, even though this year is very young, even though it's just as I as I, as I record this, it's early February. We still managed to put some more money in the emergency fund, and that's always a good feeling. Um, putting more money in the emergency fund is a big big deal. Do you first of all, do you have an emergency fund? I have a lot of new listeners that have been tuning in lately, so let me let me talk about uh, a guy. There's been a few people that have changed my life. One of them is Dave Ramsey. Um, and, you know, I've talked about my mentors before. I had a mentor when I was in my early 20s that taught me a lot about business and taught me a lot about life and motivation. Dave Ramsey is my financial mentor. Of course, my ultimate mentor, I'm a Christian, so the Lord Jesus Christ is my ultimate mentor. And I've been reading the Bible every day. Again, this is not a show about religion. I'm not trying to push my religion on you. I'm just telling you about my beliefs. This is America. We do have freedom of religion here. And I got freedom of speech, so I'm telling you about it. Um, been reading the Bible every day. Uh, I downloaded an app on my iPad, which is the Bible in a year, and I read a lesson every day. I'm going to try to get through in, in, in one entire year the entire Bible. That's a lot harder than you might think. The Bible's a big book. But Dave Ramsey, let me get back to Dave Ramsey. Uh, if you don't follow his financial principles, let me strongly suggest that you do that. He's an anti-debt guy. It's about the only way that I can put it. An anti-debt guy. Uh, emergency funds are huge. you got to have them. I can't tell you the number of stories that I read here when I talk to people about people just in financial ruins simply because they didn't have an emergency fund. Or they had way too much debt. Now, every once in a while, if you have to fall back on debt, if you have no other choice to fall back on debt, I get that. Do it and set a plan to pay it off as soon as possible. And don't be just making the minimum payments on credit cards. Adjust your life. Do what you got to do to your life to be able to cut back and free up money to pay more than the minimum on your credit cards. I hate credit cards anyway. But some people just have to have them. So if you're the kind of person that has to have a credit card, your, your life's just simply not complete 
unless you got that piece of plastic with 15 or 16 numbers on it to let you do whatever you want up to a certain limit. If you got to have that thing, that piece of plastic, please, I beg you, I beg you, have an emergency fund anyway, because I've heard of people having to dig into their emergency fund to make their credit card payments and to make their mortgage payments and to make their car payments while they were out of work for a while, but also pay more than what the monthly payment is. The credit card companies are out to rip you off. I'm telling you, how do you think they make money? They rip you off at these ridiculously high 21, 26, 28 percent interest rates, whatever the heck they are. And I don't care if they say, oh, you got a zero percent interest rate for the first 12 months or or you know, 1.9 whiz-bang percent for the first blah, 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 and transfer your balances over at this super low. Trust me, they're not making any money doing that. They're hoping you're late so you can make, so they can charge you late fees. They're also hoping you're late because in the fine print of most of those contracts, and that is if you're just one day late on one payment, they can hike your interest rate from that super low introductory rate of 1.9 to like 28%. So it's a scam and it's a rip-off, and, and don't buy into all the garbage. They're making money somehow. But if you just have to have one of those things, pay two or three times what the minimum is and get that thing paid off. Get that thing paid off and out of your life as soon as you possibly can. Because it will haunt you, and if you only pay the minimum, if you only pay the minimum every month, it's going to take you years and years, not months, years and years to pay that off. Okay, It's designed that way. You just make the minimum monthly payment and 90% of what you're sending them goes for interest or, or whatever kind of stupid fees that they can charge you. So, you know, that's just a basic financial lesson. But, and, you know, I am guilty. I... Gosh, I'll tell you what, for many years I overspent using credit cards. I'm throwing my hand up in the air. I'm confessing to all of you listening to this podcast, I was one of the worst. I was one of the worst jokers out there spending money we didn't have. I've been there. I've been there, done that. It was a miserable life, I can tell you right now. Young people, it's a miserable life. I bought cars when I was young that I shouldn't have bought. I'll never buy a new car ever again. I've done it more than once. I'm afraid to admit how many times I've bought a new car. Bad, bad investment. I don't know what's worse, buying a new car or charging on a credit card. Both of them are horrific financial moves. They're terrible. They're terrible. All the vehicles we own are paid off. And, you know, folks, i got to tell you, not having car payments is awesome. I've mentioned this on many shows before, but I'm going to say it again. I'm I'm a professional salesperson, and I'm a pretty good, I'm a high-level salesperson. You know, I've paid my dues at the bottom of the ranks, and and I took jobs that were pretty tough, and I worked my way up, and and now I call on large accounts, and, you know, I call on everybody from a mom-and-pop hotel owner to major multi-hundred-million-dollar corporations that own some of the biggest hotels in the world. I call on all of them. And I drive around... In a 12-year-old paid-for Honda. And you know what? I don't believe I've ever lost a sale because of the car that I drive. Because it's a 12-year-old paid-for Honda with 138,000 miles on it. Honda Accord. 
I don't think I've ever lost a sale. I don't think people have ever looked out in the parking lot of their hotel and go, Oh, God, look at that. We're not going to buy this guy's product. He just drove up in this hunk of junk Honda. And by the way, it doesn't look like a hunk of junk. I do a pretty good job of taking care of it, so it looks somewhat presentable. But I don't believe I've ever lost a sale. There, you know what? They're more. I'm more worried about my competition losing a sale to my competitor rather than because of my car. So people who think that they need to always have a new car, I don't know where that mindset came from. You know, the car dealers love it. The car manufacturers love it. They love you. They love you people who think you need to have a car all the time, a brand new car. I've heard people say, well, I like to buy a new car every three to five years because, well, then I don't have to worry about fixing it. I don't have to worry about any problems. Hey, let me tell you something, okay? I've had very few problems with my old Honda. I bought that thing three years ago. Three years ago? Let's see, this is 2014. Yeah, I bought it three years ago when it had 65,000 miles on it. And then a little over three years, I run it from 65,000 to 138,000. I've had very little problem with that vehicle. And, And here's the way I look at it, folks. If I were to own a new Honda Accord, for example, I ran the numbers. Let's say my payments were $400 a month. And that's pretty conservative. Okay? I think most people who drive around in a new car, their payments are more than $400. But I'm going to use $400 for easy calculation. That's $4,800 a year. Now, if you're worried about a car that breaks down, I've got to ask you a question. What makes more financial sense? Does it make more financial sense to buy a new car and spend $4,800 a year just on the payments, not to mention the higher insurance cost? Or to drive an older car and take your chances? Let me ask you, with the older car, do you really think you're going to put $4,800 every year into it to fix it? I don't even think I've put $4,800 into my Honda since I've owned it in little over three. In fact, I know I haven't. I know I have not, since I bought that Honda, I have not spent $4,800 in repairs. Not even close in over three years. But if you buy a new car, you're spending that every single year, every single month. Not to mention what that does to your cash flow. So where's the financial sense in buying a new vehicle? I don't get it. I think people do it because they feel like they have to have it. They feel like they have to keep up with the Jones. And I, I, you know, I didn't want to get on this podcast and just give a, a, a sermon about finances. But what's the number one objection you hear from people when as to why they don't prep? I think the number one objection is they don't have enough money to prep. And they don't have enough money to prep, most of them, because they're not responsible enough with their money. And one way that they get themselves into serious trouble is credit cards and new cars. Now, that's just one vehicle. What about the family that owns two vehicles and they're paying 400 bucks a month on each one? Now it's $800 a month. Are they spending $800 a month in repairs on both of those vehicles? I don't think so. Are they spending, what is that, $9,600, right? Are they spending $9,600 a year fixing cars? Even if you've got to put your car in the shop for four days while it's getting worked on and rent a car for 30 bucks a day, you're, you're, you're still probably not going to spend 4800 bucks in a year doing that whenever you have to do that. So, come on. You know, think about it. And that's a prep. It's a prep. 
you know, modern, common sense, modern survival is all about helping yourself right now so that when disaster hits, it, it's, it becomes more of an inconvenience than a, than a disaster. That's what you want. Your goal, your goal is, is to mitigate the damages of the disaster when it hits you. So that it's really an inconvenience because you're either prepared or you're pretty darn close to being prepared. And one of the ways you can do it is having money in the bank. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hey, Bob, you know what? Saving money. Uh, I'm saving dollars that could be worthless one day. Yep, that's a whole nother podcast. You are saving dollars that could be worthless. Now, I don't know about worthless. I'm not going to go so far as to say worthless. That's kind of tinfoil hat-ish. I don't know about worthless. Okay, worth a lot less? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they could be worth a whole lot less. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have to... If you've been reading Glenn Tate's books 299 days, uh, I don't have to explain to you what could happen in society that can make currency worth a whole lot less. You already know. But just look at what we've already been through. Look at inflation. You know, our dollar's worth a lot less than it was in 1980 or even 1990. Oh, a lot less. A whole lot less. You know, you've got to have more, more dollars to buy the same stuff. And unfortunately, people's income and wages have not kept up with the inflation rate over the years. Not even close. So... Yeah, you have to diversify. You have to possess some precious metals. Not a lot. Don't go dumping more than about... You know, most most smart people are going to advise you to probably have 7 to 10%. You know, that one guy, that one article that I quoted where he said don't have any more than 3% precious metals, I, I think I disagree with that. I think you need to have a little bit more than 3% of your money in precious metals. But I, I wouldn't go over 10%. Just so you've got something you can fall back on in case the, in case the dollars are worth like less than half of what they're worth now but you know saving money right now is a prep folks because the more you can save now the more you can forego in car payments and credit card payments and a house that's too big and your mortgage payment being too high the more of that you can avoid the more money you can funnel into preps all right enough of the financial sermon Hope you got a little something out of that anyway. Well, kind of the reason why I got off on that tangent is because that's one of the improvements that we've been making since the first of the year. Now, it's possible with my wife's health situation, we still don't have 100% confirmation on the diagnosis of ALS. And obviously we are praying every day that that's not what her diagnosis is. But we are preparing for that. You know, we're preparing for that. We have to. Got to prepare for the worst. Got to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. You know, the good news is, is if she does have that disease, it's it's not progressing very rapidly right now because her symptoms just are not going. They're not going down all that fast. Matter of fact, some of them haven't gone down at all, which is perplexing us and perplexing the doctors and perplexing everybody else. So there's always hope, but we got to prepare for that. And, you know, I, I thank God that I have actually been introduced to the, the uh, preparedness lifestyle uh, several years ago. And I kind of got on the right track. And, my, you know, my, my wife's always been on the right track. I was the one that was slow to come around. 
But I finally came around, and, and you know, it's a whole lot easier to go through some of those storms, those family storms and storms of life when you're prepared. Okay, that is pretty much what I've got for you this week. What I'd like to do is I want to open this up to comments, questions, or experiences. You can remain anonymous even if you send me a voicemail. You don't have to give the name if you don't want, or you can only give your first name, or if you don't even feel comfortable doing that, that's fine. Um, If you leave me a voicemail, I will put you on the air unless you tell me not to. So, I'd like to hear about your preps. What have you been doing? There's a thread on our forum, and if you're not a member of our forum, please join. There's a thread about, well, you'll find several of them on there, about what people are doing. And you can learn a lot from other people's experiences. Now, about joining the forum. Uh, I'd like you to join the forum of other listeners. The forum is pretty much for listeners only. So most people, if they don't listen to this podcast but they run across the forum, they're probably not going to get in because here's what you have to do to get in. you got to register, and then after you register, you have to send me an email. And you got to give me your username that you used when you signed up. And then I have to go back into the, the forum and approve your account. And this is the way I keep spammers out, although a spammer snuck through. And I can't keep 100% of them out, but one snuck through the other day, and I dropped a nuclear bomb on him and got him the heck out of the forum. Okay, but that's what you have to do. you got to sign up. you got to go to todayssurvival.com, click the forum page, register, send me an email at bob at todayssurvival.com, two S's in that address, bob at todayssurvival.com. Once you send me that email, give me the username and tell me you'd like to join the forum. Now, give me about 12 to 24 hours. Maybe sooner, but give me about 12 to 24 hours. I'll approve your account, and then I'll send you an email saying, you're approved, welcome to the forum, you can start posting now. Okay? Uh, And you can converse with other listeners, and you can share your experiences, and if you want to be anonymous on the forum, you can. Make up a fake name and all that kind of good stuff. Okay? So the voicemail on the forum, uh, join it. We'd love to hear it. Well, I hope you've gotten something out of this practical episode I wanted to put together on my drive. It's kind of a good stopping point anyway because i got to make a stop in about 10 minutes. So I need to get myself in the right frame of, frame of mind to conduct business. So with all this said, thanks for tuning in to, even though it was short, another weekly episode of today's Survival Show. A common sense, no tinfoil hat prepping show. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you next week. Goodbye.